welcome to Juice List. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, what about you? How are you doing? Us? I'm honored and delighted to have you. I'm, I'm feeling very blessed right now. I'm doing, oh, that's, I'm doing wonderful. That's great to hear. Yeah, good to hear from you. Richard, where are you speaking from? I'm speaking from London at the minute. I'm in my studio, so. Oh, excellent, excellent. And Richard, what do you do? I'm a visual artist. Or a painter. Okay. <laughs> How did you get started as a painter? Okay. I would say I've always been an artist or a painter ever since I can remember anything. I've painted since like childhood. At some point, I had to give up or I had to stop. Or I was persuaded to stop painting. Persuaded by? Persuaded by my parents to stop painting or to stop doing that because um, art wasn't seen as a viable career or something that could really be viable um, in the future. So I stopped painting for about 15, 16 years. Then back in 2016, late 2016, I had a visit, you know, my my mom visited me here in London. So I think there was something and I did a very small sketch and she asked me, can you still paint? And I said, of course I can still paint, you know. I did, I did some few pieces then and friends started encouraging me to post it on at the time. I believe it was Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. But you know what? Well, I didn't have any clue or any idea of um, social media then <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm a very private person. And um, one day I went to, to work. I was, I was working within the nuclear industry um, at the time. And one of my work colleagues just picked my phone and said, today I'm going to get you on Instagram. Yeah, hold on, hold on. You say you're working in the nuclear industry as what? Yeah, as an environmental scientist. Okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah. This friend just created an Instagram account, posted some few of my sketches and paintings, and the response was amazing. You know, at that time I thought, so this social media thing is not just for people posting selfies. Yeah. It can be used for art as well. I then started like painting, but I was still doing my work and very, very, very busy. So I, I really didn't have, you know, time to paint a lot. And I really took it seriously around 2019. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the COVID happened and lockdown happened. Therefore, I had more time on my hand to paint. And I did a lot of painting. That is when I started painting, you know, art or doing art properly or painting, you know, as an artist. Yeah. So is this something you're doing full time now? Now I'm trying to transition. I'm, I'm in the process of moving from what I do now, which is the engineer scientist role to, to become a full-time artist. You know, it's not been easy making that decision to... Yeah, like, to, to go full-time. What I am doing now within the other field, which is being a scientist as well as um, an engineer, is time. It's exciting as well. We're working on hydrogen technology, battery materials, and so many exciting things. It is kind of um, a little bit difficult uh, living it. But what I tend to say is that I, I've got two full-time jobs, <laughs> you know, jobs right now. <laughs> yes. I do art full-time, or the hours that I dedicate to art is full-time. And I do another full-time, you know, um, job as well as a scientist. So I do both. How do you make time for both? You're a family man as well. 
Yes, I am family man as well. So <laughs> my life is very structured and you require a lot of discipline, you know, um, to really do that. I would say you would usually find me in the studio doing that from, say, six in the evening to, let's say, two, two, 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. Then I would, you know, rest, sleep, get some sleep and do my other science role as well uh, during daytime. Yeah. So, so what does your typical day look like from waking up to you practicing in the studio? From waking up in the morning, it will be maybe me going for start. I started there with meditation, then go for a jog, come shower. If I'm not going to the office, then you know it's it's, it's quite um, a quick twenty seconds commute to my workstation at home. So when I sit at my workstation, I would work from usually from eight to five. Um, then from after uh, after after five. Again, get some rest, you know, have some family time, then um, come straight away to the studio, uh, spend some few hours. Um, at least whenever I'm in the studio, I spend not less than four or five hours. Usually not less than four or five hours. Yeah. Usually, that's the minimum, <laughs> you know, spend more, more than um, four or five hours in the studio, paint, do all my artwork, then, you know, go back home and the cycle continues, you know, uh, like starts again. Yeah. So that's from Monday to Sunday, no rest. No rest. Weekends, you would usually, you know, if I'm not taking the case to football or during, uh, for other um, activities, you would usually find me on weekends in the studio. Or sometimes, you know, I would also go and look at art you know, in the National Gallery or other galleries as well, you know, just checking up on that. But on the weekends, you would usually find me in the studio um, from, you know, like all day, most of the time, most of the time all day. So you're a very busy man. (laughs) Very, very busy. Richard, let's talk about your inspiration to create, your inspiration to paint. What Mm. what type of subjects do you like to cover? What themes do you like to explore? I think I, I like to explore many different things, different aspects of black people's story, you know. So um, I do know, I, I, I just focus on telling the black person's story from a black person's perspective. That is the main driver or that is the main inspiration or motivation, if I can call it that. I don't really want to say African because again, even like with um, African, uh, the word like African, we are not a homogeneous group. We are different. I cover everything related to our story. So it could be black people like in a diaspora telling like our story in a way that we want the world to say it. It could be an African story, uh, mainly Ghanaian story because um, I'm from Ghana. So I, I would usually tell um, a Ghanaian story. So if there is any narrative out there which I believe my painting would contribute to that, then I would do that um, to enrich um, the culture, mainly Black culture. Yeah. So let's describe the current body of work you're working on, that your latest pieces that at least you're working on in the studio. Mm. What are they about and what would you like your viewers to see from that body of work? So with the 
current body of work that I'm doing. I'm working on two things, two main things now. One has taken a bit, you know, um, one is in the background and one I'm really focusing on. I've got an exhibition going on in Paris at the minute, which is focusing on the softer side of us. If I say the softer side of us is the side that we are not as black people often, you know, known or it's not often portrayed um, in the media or in the Western media. Um, that is a narrative that has been out there. So I wanted to just portray us, you know, that we we also do normal things. We also relax, you know, we also show public affections. We also do grief, you know. We also do all the things that every normal human beings, you know, do because most often within the Western media, um, the narrative about black people is not showing more or less our emotional softer side. It shows our struggles, you know, and also more or less shows sometimes, you know, more um, like aggressive and doing, you know, like other things that shows us that we're not doing the normal things that everyone does. And um, I wanted to shed a little bit light, you know, light on that. The other work which um, is going on at the same time, I'm exploring the grieving process or how different cultures grieve and also like the different aspects, you know, like of grieving in different cultures as well. And that is as a result of my own, you know, grief. Not too long ago, I've had some uh, losses, you know, that I really wanted to reflect on that process of grieving. So um, currently I've done some few pieces on focusing on grieving process like in Ghana, um, focusing on more or less the Akan culture, like grieving in that. There is more to that process or there is more to that pieces that I want to tell. It is likely that I would move on from Ghana and explore grieving in other different cultures as well. So those are the two uh, main bodies of work that I'm currently uh, working on. Yeah. Just on the subject of grief as well, how have you managed to deal with it? How have you managed to like overcome it? Um, personally, I think it's something that is very difficult to, to be honest with you. It's, it's, been, it's something that is difficult for anybody to really describe. And for me as an artist, it's more difficult to really express it in words. I would borrow some few words from another Ghanaian or British Ghanaian painter, Lynette. More or less, like he paints what he she cannot describe, like in words, and and that is um, most of the things is I paint the things that are very difficult to describe in words. So if I if if I create any piece, is is difficult to really describe. It means that words alone wouldn't really do it justice. So it comes from really deep like reflections and um, more or less um, like solitude, thinking more like about it and expressing it on the canvas. I think um, I, I find it very easy to express um, the feeling or to deal with um, more or less grief that I have experienced more um, on the canvas than more uh, maybe um, expressing it. Yeah. So it's easier for you to sort of paint what you feel exactly. on canvas than for you to express it. Yeah, yeah. It's more difficult. And I think that I may not be 
the only artist who finds yes, a very difficult yes. to really describe things like that. But I think most of the time you like you find out that there is like you want to tell a story, but it's difficult to find the right ways to really tell that exactly. story and convey the message. Exactly. And you can only yeah. convey that message effectively or clearly yeah. in um, in a painting. Wow. That's, that's such a powerful feeling that you're also able to capture what you feel on canvas in that sense. Yeah. 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 What sense do you get when you are done painting such a subject? I, I hope I can describe that feeling to you. It's a, a sense of relief, a sense that something has left you know, or a weight that you are, you you are carrying has, has been, you know, um, lifted away from you. So it is, it is a sense of like relief or release, you know, into the world. And uh, I think one of the things that I've learned in my career is that when that release, you know, comes, I try to dissociate myself from the piece, you know, in order for me to focus and move on. So emotionally, I pour everything on the canvas then you feel that sense of, you know, release that there's something that has just left you, you know, your mind. Um, and let me describe my process a little bit. So the way that I create mainly is to leave a piece. So if I start creating a piece, I leave it, walk around that piece. Everything that I do is yeah. focused on that piece. So most of the time I paint a piece at a time so that I can go through that process. I can tell that story on that you know, okay. um, canvas. Okay. So I do everything. So if it takes, say, two weeks for me to paint something, then I would be thinking about that piece in everything. Even like in my sleep, I'll be thinking about it. So I leave okay. that piece, you know, yeah. so the piece is done. So that is why maybe when the piece is done, I get that release that, you know what, something has just left. <laughs> yeah so your process is that you you do one piece at a time and yes. you wouldn't move on to another one until you've you've finished i wouldn't generally move on to another piece until i have finished and 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 that is because you know i leave that piece when i'm yeah. painting it there are there are some times there are some times that i've been pushed to maybe try two paintings you know um at a time, but it's always very confusing for me um, to to switch between um, um, like to multitask yeah. to paintings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then what what keeps you motivated to paint? Um, I think the the motivation is to tell our story the way that we want. You know, that is the black experience from a black person the way that we want the world to see us not waiting for anybody to tell like our story. I'm also driven by the fact that I want to, or I would say another motivation is to maybe, um, you know, contribute to culture, um, education, like in terms of what, you know, like we're doing and also documenting our, um experiences because that is what we do as you know like artists as well whether we like it or not everything that we create you know um more or less becomes like a, you know will become um more or less like a reference for um posterity you know to come back to yeah 
And, and in that sense of documentation, how do you put together the research that is needed? How do you put together ideas for your work? Yeah, and how, how do you basically do your work? I usually describe myself as a very intuitive painter. <laughs> so before I start on anything, I paint anything, it, most of them, most of them is like intuition. I'll just see something, I'll just have an idea and say, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. Then sometimes I will start with a sketch, a study in my sketchbook, do um, a sketch, and I don't do a detailed, you know, um, sketch because for me, I see the sketch as something that is there to remind me of the idea because you do get, you know, yeah, one things in your, <laughs> yeah. in your head. So whenever... I get any intuition or any anything. It just I just do a very quick sketch, sometimes um, less than a minute sketch, and that will form the basis of the whole painting. So once I do that sketch in my book, sometimes I would start the painting straight away on my canvas and just start. Sometimes I would do a little bit of like research um, to build the idea. So I don't wait for the idea to to be fully formed. I've always done that. So I get an initial idea and I start, you know, <laughs> and I start and um, form the idea or form the story as the painting progresses on the canvas. Okay. So okay. it could be through a study or getting reference um, materials or sometimes um, live painting as well. If I can get, you know, someone to sit, then add, you know, uh, the um, idea to the piece as well, so it's it's a number of things. I don't I don't I don't limit myself to um, anything at all. But it's mostly starts with um, a sketch, yeah, an idea, an intuition. You know, I could be sleeping and wake up in the night and you know grab my sketchbook, <laughs> sketch no something quickly, and just go back to sleep. <laughs> you would wake up. Yeah, yeah, I've done that so many times. Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll be driving, see something, you know. Um, I don't know. I think many artists, you know, do that. Quote and unquote, self-taught. I observe quite a lot. Whenever I see anything, you know, which I think is, you know, could form a bit, you know, um, could be a basis for any paintings, I would take a mental photograph, get to say a studio home then do a quick sketch of what i saw and um continue from that and build it like from that sometimes i could be maybe scrolling through some photos see something that is really interesting or something you know trigger something then i'll just put it down and sketch something and continue sometimes i'll be sleeping after that you know wake up and just come and sketch then go back yeah. to sleep so that i don't Lose the idea. But, yeah. Yeah. And let's also talk about your technique to painting. Yeah. What does that look like? I'm the type that I go with, you know, my intuition. So I'm not the type that really plans out the paint and the colors that I'm going to use for any paintings at all. I don't, you know, when I start to paint, I wouldn't even know what colors of dress or you know, like I don't, I don't plan any of that. I start, then I tell the story. So I will get to a point and say, 
put myself like in that situation that if I was there, say if I'm painting someone in the 1950s, I was like, if I was there in the 1950s, would I be wearing this? You know, what color would I be wearing this? If, if it's summer, like a very bright day or a cloudy day, what would I be wearing? You know, what colors? That's how like I choose my colors. And I've not had any formal training in painting. Yeah. Usually I go, I'm someone who uh, I've mentioned it before, rely a lot on my observation and re- really uh, the kind of message that I want to send across. It, it will be with, you know, sometimes like the choice of the colors during the painting as well, you know, that, okay, in this situation, will blue or green or different color do or tell the story? Or will it fit into um, the occasion? So it is usually not anything formalized. So it is very, very informal and yeah. very, very loose with the, you know, um, my technique. It's, it's mainly observational, uh, intuition, observation, then tell the story on the painting by painting what I feel should be, or what, you know, I feel, you know, should tell the story that I want to tell. Yeah. Richard, does being a father have any influence on your work? Do you involve your kids in your paintings, in doing your, your artistic practice? Y- yes. Um, I, I always say my family, especially my kids, are my biggest critics. I've, I've nev- never been criticized as much as them. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, whenever um, kids are really fascinating in the sense that I would say they are not touched by our, or they are not impacted by our surroundings or the environment or the world that we live. Yeah. I don't want to use the word infected, you know, which is not, which is too strong. So, yeah, they, they are not really uh, being impacted so much about our environment. Whenever a kid gives you the observation or their view, most of the time they're innocent and it's genuine. And it's something that is coming from, you know, you get that rawness, you know, view, observation, and um, feedback from kids. So whenever I create anything and I want to send a message through the art, I don't usually discuss the art with them because it's very difficult to really tell them in words what you want to, the story that you want to uh, tell. So you paint it and you call them to come and give you the opinion of what they think. And I find it really useful that usually their explanation, what they say, you know, is really powerful. And it's something that is it's something that hasn't been impacted by anything or affected by anything by the environment yeah. or the world that we live in. You know, so they will give you more or less, very genuine, um, uh, raw, you know, like feedback, which is what I really like. And once I find out that um, their feedback, you know, is telling the story that I want to tell, then I usually accept that. Then it means that the story that I really wanted to tell has landed, you know. So I use them quite a lot, you know. We do, <laughs> we do. We do talk quite a lot about art, and and they are and they are interested in that, um, like art as well. So it's a bonus um, to have kids who are, you know, love art. Yeah. You know, um, like as me. 
Yeah, Richard, you are, I feel like you are cheating, cheating right now. You are cheating with your kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Richard, also more on your personal journey as well. Let's talk about your journey as an engineer and then you finding time and then finding art again. Mm. What was the main reason you studied as an engineer and practiced as an engineer? When I was growing up, I used to paint. I used to sketch, draw, do anything. And I remember even in nursery, like in Ghana, I used to sketch for my classmates, sell it to them at a time, and they would pay me. <laughs> <laughs> they would pay me. So, um, and I remember in class one, those of my, you know, like my classmates who, so, you know, most of them still, like, remember uh, this, uh, my story that I used to paint and do sketches for them, sell it, like, to them. So, um, you know, I think in year one, or class one in Ghana, I used to make a lot of money, you know, at the time, you know, <laughs> to buy sweets and um, some of my old yeah. school stuff, you know, exercise books and all that. So, at some point, I love art. I wanted to be an artist. But at the time, I, I guess um, there wasn't, any known artists, you know, um, examples, yeah, yeah. examples of, you know, a successful like artists within where, uh, like in my community. So my mom and dad thought that, you know what, um, you cannot grow up to become an artist, you know, you, you cannot waste your life, you know, uh, your life becoming an artist. So they, I was more or less persuaded or nudged towards the sciences. And um, I always say it was maybe, fortunately or unfortunately for me, I was very, very good academically as well in math and science. And I was naturally like, towards that. So I remember in secondary school, I went to do science. And um, I used to do a bit of art and sell it, you know, um, on the side as well. And I got to uni to do chemical engineering as well. So I did chemical engineering. And um, at that time, I st- completely stopped painting from secondary school, uh, from university, completely stopped painting. So I came to uh, the United Kingdom to do my master's in environmental pollution and control. So I did that and I started like working within the consultancy engineering sector, um, working for so many different um, companies. And I thought I was never going to come back to that, like to be honest with you. Until yeah. and my mom saw the sketch that I did 2016. I think I saw something. It was quite interesting to me. And I did that sketch. And um, at that time, I don't think my wife even knew I could paint. So every everyone was quite surprised that, can you paint? Yeah, I said, yes, I can paint. Because <laughs> yeah, once an artist, always an artist anyway. So yeah, that is when I rediscovered that, you know. Um, so engineering science-wise, I was doing quite well for myself. Um, but I kind of um, started gravitating back to that. And it became more and more interesting. And because it was, I would say, I would use the term, the first love. So it was very easy to, you know, go back to the first love and um, uh, spend more time, you know, like with it. And do you know what? When, I, I like, when I'm painting, it's like I get lost, you know, like in painting. That's just why I spend a lot of time, you know, in my studio. So whenever I'm in a studio, for instance, I get lost into whatever I'm doing. So I'm here, I put on my earphones and I'm lost, 
you know, uh, for about three, four, five hours, six hours. Sometimes I don't take the earphones off, you know. So it's just something that um, I love doing anyway. So it was easy going back, you know, to it. Yeah. So what have you also learned about yourself as an artist? What have you discovered in the recent years mm. since you started painting? I think one thing, there is one key lesson that art has taught me or one great thing that I've discovered about myself is, um, I, w- I would say lesson and maybe teaching, it's about being patient. Being patient. In what sense? Yeah, in, in, in the sense that whenever you start any new painting, it's like you are in a battle, you know? I heard this from an artist when I started painting again, and um, I think I had been away too long away from art, and I really didn't understand it. But I straight away got, you know, got that when I started painting again, that whenever you, you start any new piece, it's so difficult. It gets to a point you think you've messed it up. You've, you know, this is gone. You know, you've lost it. And it starts to come together. That is when you're patient, when you stick to your process and believe in yourself and in your technique, it comes together. So the lesson here is that with everything, once you persist, be patient, it, it always works out. And that's a big yeah. lesson for me like in life that anything that I want to do, I persist, stick at it. You know, it may, it may seem that it's, it's a lost cause, but as long as I am convinced that it is the right thing that I'm doing, it always works out. Yeah. This thing that you just described, is it always the case that when you pick up a canvas at some point in time during the painting process, you feel lost and you feel like I should give up on this piece? Well, no, no, I don't, I don't think like giving up because I know that it works out. But when I started again, it was more difficult. Like you get to a place and it's like, no, this is, this, this wasn't what I had in mind, you know, to paint and it's not working. So at some point, you know, you think it's like it's not it's not working. It's 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 a lost cause. Um, do I stop, you know, and start again, or just throw the canvas away and start? But I've realized that many artists, or some artists, do say that they do have bad pieces. But I've struggled to really find a bad piece that I've had, you know, because I stick at them. I don't give up, you know. <laughs> I don't give up. And, and, and I believe yeah. that once you do not give up, you're patient and you persist, stick with them. For me, it always works out. It always comes together. So now I don't, I don't even think about giving up. You know, I'm, I, may, I may get to a point where I get a little bit scared. That, ah, no, it's going to take me a little bit of time to really get this thing down. But I know that it's going to be beautiful like at the end. Yeah, and then how has your style changed over the last four or five years? Um, I don't know whether it's... I think I I have become more confident in my storytelling. There is so much stories that I want to tell. So my practice has always been, or what I've been, been told, you know, I, I didn't even know this. What I've been told is that I'm a very good storyteller. It was surprising to myself that, you know, I could tell a story. So I didn't believe myself to be a storyteller. 
But one of the things that I've discovered, which has really impacted in the way that I paint, is uh, I've been very confident in the story that the stories that I want to tell. And um, sometimes when I've got an intuition or an idea to paint a certain story, and I find it very difficult to really describe it. And sometimes like you want to share it with someone to get some feedback, but it's difficult, you know. So usually I will tell my wife that, you know, this is this what I want to paint. And um, she said, yeah, I don't get it. So I said, all right, okay, let me stick with it and paint. So, you know, she would understand in the end what the message that I was trying to convey um, from the very beginning. So I would say I've been a more confident storyteller. I don't know whether my technique has changed that much. Definitely, you know, with the with the amount of time that, you know, uh, like I spend on painting, definitely there has been improvement and there has been some changes. So, but I don't really think um, it's changed significantly. Yeah, yeah. Also on the subject of you being a good storyteller and exploring themes, let's talk about some of the dominant ideas that run through your pieces, some, of, some dominant ideas that run through your work. Yeah. Um, the type that most of my stories that I tell, they are formed in, or they are based in more or less the three phases of, should I say life or time? So I, I, I tend to look back, you know, into, into the past. That is history. Mm-hmm. I go back and bring it to the present and take it to the future. So most of my work would go back into the past, pick certain things like from the past, bring it to the now, make it contemporary. So bring it to the now and convey a message to now, to like the audience, you know, now. Then look into the future, what lessons or what things can be taken into the future. So that is yeah. that is that is how like all my paintings are. So I will I will tell you this one. Last year I did some series looking at um African Renaissance or I would say the Renaissance in the black community. And I strongly believe that we are going through a renaissance. So what I did was that I went through I looked at when we've had Renaissance before um as black people. And I, I looked at the Harlem Renaissance. What happened during the Harlem like, Renaissance? You know, there was an explosion of art. There was an explosion of, you know, um, fashion, culture. I mean, black culture and arts and, you know, like everything. And, and it showed in everything that black people were doing. They were very confident. They were more than happy to really show their culture through their fashion, style, arts, and all this kind of stuff. So, and if you look at... The present, you know, we've got black music or African music, um, Afrobeat, um, hip life, um, even I would say some aspects of um, like you know high life. It's 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 international now, you know. Now, like if you go to um, certain London clubs, you know they play Afrobeat, they play hip life, they play sarcodies and. Westgate and Davidos and um, Stoneboy and, you know, Black Sheriff. So there is that, you know, like aspect that we are confident in our culture, in our music. We are not afraid to compete with, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the Western, like, journals that, like, we 
um, like hear about. When it comes to us as well, a similar thing is happening. You know, we've got great, you know, um, African or black contemporary like artists. And I think Ghanaian artists are leading the charge. You know, um, you, you've got fantastic, you know, like artists like um, Amako Boafo, Kwesi Botri, um, Otis, Anand, you know, I can name yeah. a lot, you know, of Ghanaian artists yes. who are doing so, so well internationally. And it is something that the world is now coming to see. And one thing that I really like about this renaissance or this confidence that like we're getting is that we are not scared. We are not shy to show, you know, the black person. And one of the things that when I came to the UK was going to art institution that I wasn't seeing a lot of was seeing people or things that really look like me or that really like represent me on the walls. That is why I made the decision to paint and tell black stories. So to see you know, other African artists or other black artists, you know, from Ghana, Nigeria, Congo, Cameroon, doing exactly the same thing at the same time with our music. Fashion, uh, you know, um, as well is doing quite well. So for me, I think we are living through a black renaissance. So I wanted to capture that and document that as something that like we're going through now. So that is something that I did. And in the midst of that last year, I kind of um, was reflecting on the fact that, um, again, I was using my, you know, like myself, you know, I grew up in in um, Ghana, Kumasi, and I think growing up in Kumasi at the time, I think there was only one swimming pool that I could, like, remember. That is the uh, <laughs> University of Science and Technology swimming pool. That is, if you want to yeah. learn how to swim, that is where you go. And I was, I wanted to understand why there is the underrepresentation of black, you know, people in aquatic um, like sports. If you look at many um, sports, you see a lot of black people, you know, football is dominated by, you know, like black people, um, athletics, black people. But there are certain sports that you don't often see black people. And um, a friend, I think I will call him like a friend that I met on Instagram you know, was coming to Ghana to introduce water polo in Ghana. So I, I thought he was doing something really, you know, um, like inspirational. So I contacted him and said, you know, what you're doing is really, really like inspirational. And I started like talking to him and said, like, we'll do something together. So I kind of wanted to also explore, you know, why there is under representation of black people in you know, aquatic, like sports, swimming, water yeah. polo, and other things. And um, I read about, um, you know, I use my own experience. That is lack of public, like, swimming pools and private, like, swimming pools in Ghana. Then I, I did a little bit of research into swimming pools in America as well. And I realized that I think um, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, even public swimming pools for blacks, you know, it, it was non-existent. Um, yeah. the, few, uh, the few that more or less gave access to black people, there were huge oppositions, you know, uh, like to that. So I wanted to really re uh, like reflect on that. And um, I did a piece called Who Gets to Swim, you know, um, to represent that like story. So I did some few pieces to tell that story, to look at where we were with lack of access to 
public and um, private like swimming pools may be contributing to the fact that you know black people are underrepresented in like aquatic sports and also we shouldn't forget the fact that black people have got a, a more complex like relationship like with water with water yeah, yeah. Than <laughs> any other race you know like on the planet you know starting from the transatlantic um, like slave trade even to the current migration like issues whereby you know people are trying to cross from north africa to um like europe you know in boats risking their lives so we've got quite um you know uh complicated like relationship uh with water. And to me, that has contributed to something. And when I spoke with this guy who was introducing aquatic sports in Ghana, and I believe in Ethiopia, one thing that he, like he said, which um, really struck a chord with me was that he wanted to use the entity, which is water, that was once feared by our ancestors to empower black people. So, yeah, that's why he was introducing water, you know, sports. And I found that statement to be really powerful. And I said, all right, okay, how can I support? How can I highlight, you know, these things to track this journey? So I did so many pieces, like starting from where there is that under like representation and one also or some also recognizing the, the progress that has been made, you know, in black people now having access to swimming and also looking into the future, how we can widen that one, you know, in, 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 in many places so that, um, uh, you know, like we can empower more black people to take up, you know, like aquatic sports and um, like other sport, like water related sports as well. So like those are the two yeah. teams that I have covered in my work last year. Yeah. And those are also such, I would say, <laughs> Uh, such charged cultural political statements as well because you realize that throughout history yes black people uh, and like like you clearly said black people and their relationship with water has been very challenging i would yeah. say and and you also realize that even in ghana for people to have access to water like it, it was a big deal yes. you know to have access to a body of water people in accra definitely live in the south, closer to closer to this, closer to the sea, so th- there's that experience. But moving further inland, we still have people in Ghana who have never seen the beach before. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, it's still a relevant topic, and it's still a relevant subject. Definitely, that, that is why I think um, the the last, I think three pieces or so that I did was more or less a, a reflection of the progress that has been made on what else, you know, needs to be done. So most of the characters in the paintings, fortunately, I'm doing a talk on that um, in the, in the uh, like in the Tate, um, on that. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, the subject uh, this week. It is a subject that, uh, you know, I'm going back to, which is, which is so like interesting because, you know, I, you know, I, I, I grew up in, Kumase and Kumase is inland, it's not closer to the beach. And growing up, I think at the time now, like it may be better. Um, the only swimming pool that I, you know I knew was the University of um, Science and Technology swimming pool. And even with that, like you needed to pay, and you know, it was even front <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like you have to sneak, 
you know, to go there. <laughs> you have to pay to go and yeah. swim. It's, um, yeah. yeah. Richard, I also want us to talk about one of your pieces. You also explore a lot of the Ashanti culture. Yes. Throughout history. You also talk about some of the warring periods yeah. that happened hundreds of years ago. How did you choose that idea? And that was the message you were trying to sort of relay across through your work? I'm, I'm always fascinated by history and culture. And those two are always like fascinating me. So I think in 2020 or so, I began reading about Yasman Tua. There was a story and her story always, you know, you know, has, I've, I've been very fascinated about the Yasman Tua story. And it got me thinking and I began to read about her story, you know, because of the now recent, more or less championing of like women's rights you know, like in the West and the West trying to uh, more or less claim, claim that they started that. And I realized that, do you know what, that has got um, some history, you know, um, like in Ghana. So I really wanted to find out more about Yasantua, the way that she led the people to, to war and also like explore the time that the British were there. So it got me thinking and there was a book written by... I don't know, the author may be an Englishman. And I got a copy of the book and the, the cover, you know, photo of the book was, you know, it was talking about the Yasanto, but the, the cover photo was like the Zulu, you know, in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, and that. Yeah. When I saw that, I said, no, that doesn't really represent, you know, the Ashanti. So I, I wanted to create something that would represent, um, the Ashanti history, you know, not picking a South African painting and having it as a cover photo for a Ghanaian or Ashanti, you know, um, like history. So I did the Yasanto piece, the resistance um, or the uprising, you know, um, against the British. The work was um, exhibited in a central London gallery. The reception was really great, you know, and and I kind of, you know, realized that there was, you know, there, there I'm not going to say there was, there is still um, the perception that Africans, you know, were there to be colonized or they accepted colonization and they to be ruled without resisting. There is the idea that the the meek timid African you know um, waiting to be colonized, but I, again even with so many of these like if you read like history, there were so many agitations, there were so many uprisings, so there were so many battles between um, the colonizers and the I would say the local people you know or the native like people like if you well you know like, want to call them that so there was you know like it wasn't that you know, um, black people were just, uh, Africans were waiting to be colonized. No, many fought, many resisted. And um, I really wanted to tell that part of the story. And one of them that I really found fascinating was um, the Anglo-Ashanti Wars, which the Yasantua one was one of them. I think it was the last one. Um, I wanted to tell more, to look at whether it was true that, you know, we won any of the battles. And indeed, I think there were about four or five 
of those kind of Anglo Ashanti wars, and the Ashantis, I think, won the first two or something like that, which was quite fascinating. Even like the ones that they lost, uh, like the Yasanto one, which happened in 1900, it wasn't the, it wasn't easy, you know. By the time that the British or like you know the 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 Ashantis uh, like lost. It took a very long time for them to be, you know, defeated. Uh, defeated. So it wasn't that easy for, and like if you read one of the paintings that I did, I think it was the first one, the first Anglo Ashanti War. It was the British were quite surprised because by the army that they found, you know, in the Ashanti region, that is when they came down. It wasn't part of the Gold Coast. So when they came down, they were really surprised about how organized the army, you know, the Ashanti army, like, was, um, like, at the time. And if you read accounts by so many, you know, British um, write-ups, they, they try to give every other reason apart from giving credit to the Ashantis that they were really organized, you know. So they, they were more or less, like, they blamed the, the defeat of the British based on their arrogance or ill preparedness or something like that. I said, no, no, no. They came and met a really organized, you know, army. And other accounts really do say that 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 they were really surprised. The Ashantis really like ambushed them. I think around the Adanse like area, you know. <laughs> so it wasn't it, like they came and, and they were quite surprised. So I think those I believe were to me were quite um interesting stories that we as black people have to let the world know through because art is powerful way to tell like a story. There is um, a saying that say like a picture paints um, like a thousand words or something like that. So whenever you see a photo or a painting of something, I think like it takes more and it's it, it's, it's it's very easy to tell that story than even like reading it from um, a book. So that was one of my inspiration to tell or motivation to tell our side of the story, how we think that battles like went. Yeah, yeah. Even looking at some of your works that I've seen online, you've conveyed them in very, like you said, contemporary ways of telling yeah. those stories. So it's more relevant than it would have been some time ago, you know, looking at these images because yeah. it's more engaging. There's, there's more depth, there's more layers that you've also explored definitely definitely and i think again i i I didn't really want to paint something that will fall into this uh like stereotypical way of um like the narrative that is like already there i really wanted to paint something that would you know if you are an african like myself see it you feel empowered that do you know what we've got um, you know, um, some stories like to tell, like ourselves, you know, we, we don't have to go with everything that has been written down, you know, by someone yeah. who doesn't look like us. Yeah. And then also looking at your work too, I'm sure every person that sees your piece, there's something that they can take away. There's, there's something that they can observe and, and then take away. There's something that they can appreciate about the body of work that is, is in front of them. Which also brings me to like, one of the pieces that I'm I'm looking at on your Instagram right now called Psalm 23. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't even have ways to describe what I'm looking at, but can you tell us about this piece? What is about? What you're exploring? What you're trying to share? I think with with this piece, um, uh, someone recently said that that is maybe the darkest piece that I've ever painted. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I think, you know, I was just thinking about Psalm 23 for some reason, you know, um, 23, I think, specifically the verse for something like that, which is, even though walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I, shadow I will fear no evil. So, yeah, no, yeah, no, so even though it is quite dark, I really wanted it to have, you know, to convey a message that, you know, even though like we go through things, um, we see death and all that, we will fear no evil, we, we, we will stand on that. And I also wanted to convey this message that, and I think that is something that um, strikes me quite a lot that as, you know, as, as a people or as a community, usually, we fail to realize that we are standing on the foundations that our ancestors built, like, you know, like for us, we are not standing, like we are not starting from afresh, we are building onto something. So I wanted to recognize that we are also standing on greatness, you know, um, to look into the future. So we most of the time fail to acknowledge the power that we have, you know, through our history or through like ourselves, our being, you know, that we are powerful people, you know. So we, we, we are standing on the shoulders of our ancestors who led the way and we are continuing with what they did and we are powerful like people as well. But the Psalm 23 part is just that to convey that we do not fear anything even though there may be scary things or so many things happening around us, we will fear no evil. So it was yeah. the, like the piece was created, I think, listening to, I think it was uh, Bujibantin music, Psalm 23, and uh, meditating on Psalm 23 quite a lot. That's how that piece um, came about. Yeah. So for your meditation as well, what does your practice look like? And why do you meditate? First of all, it's just, to calm myself down, to align my thoughts, and to draw within myself, like draw from like within myself, and the more or less peace or the stillness, and to get like new ideas and new inspirations. So that is mainly why I meditate. Do you know what my meditation is? Just most of the time, I I I meditate like in the dark quite a lot. You know, whenever I get to my studio. Every light is off. I don't touch any brush or paint. So I have a quiet time. Just close my eyes, sit down for maybe 10, 15 minutes, sometimes longer, not doing anything, just quiet, you know, just, you know, quieting myself, getting at, at, at peace, you know, like with myself, my surroundings, with nature, you know. Then um, after that, you know, like to paint, but like, I feel that like once I do that, I feel really, really calm and I feel, you know, really at peace like with myself and um, I don't know whether I get any connection like with the art. I think it helps with creation as well yeah. because when you're at peace with yourself, um, like you tell like a good story as well. Yeah, yeah. And why do you feel the need to quiet down? I find it very difficult to switch off. <laughs> so... <laughs> At every given time of the day, I've got thousand and one ideas. Something to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I discovered uh, meditation not too long ago anyway. So uh, maybe about two years ago or something like that. So um, 
it kind of helps me to quiet down, you know, to to still bring myself to, you know, um, to peace or slow myself down a little bit. And, and, and I think that, like, it does help quite a lot because otherwise I've got my brain, it, like, it doesn't stop to... To be honest with you, it doesn't shut down. Yeah, like it doesn't shut down, and um, that is one of the things that I'm, you know, trying to manage, you know, through meditation. Yeah, have you always been like that? I think I've I've, I've always been very like researching, exploring. You know, even with art, I'm very very scientific. I like in that the way that I see things and with my process. So. I'm, I'm the type that I, I always want to do something new. I will, I'm always thinking about a solution to something. How how can this thing be done? I believe that everything is possible and nothing is beyond me anyway. So I'm like, okay, if there is an issue that I cannot find a solution to, it's, it can it, it can be on my mind, you know, for weeks. So the only way just to switch off is to <laughs> meditate, you know, to just, you know, like come up that. So I've, I've, I've always been yeah. like that. Yeah, and you're speaking like a true scientist. You're always saying solution, exactly. solution, like you're approaching yeah. a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the time that, yeah, I, I always want to, you know, find, um, you know, um, a, a solution to something. It's like, how do I tell this message? How do I do this? Is there a way <laughs> to do that? So, uh, for example, even in that, because usually, like when I start painting, I do not know what is going to have. You know, now in my studio, I've got so many things, so many other media that I want to add to the pieces that I'm doing. And if you see the pieces, it looks like they're almost done. And the items are still here. I've not added them. There isn't a <laughs> single minute in the day that I don't think about how to like how to add, you know, those pieces, you know, like how to add those yeah. media. So I'm always thinking, I'm always like thinking, you know, um, imagining and seeing the picture before, uh, like doing it. I, I like, you know, um, uh, like experimenting. Visualizing. Well. So I explore and experiment quite a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in terms of like, Challenges that you've had to overcome, even in, in your artistic journey and your practice. What has that looked like? And what are some of the things that you've had to overcome? I think it's mainly balancing the science and the engineering work with art. I think for me, that is the greatest challenge. Because, you know, I, I said this at the very beginning that I don't start anything that I think I cannot give 100% or I cannot give my all to. So sometimes the challenge has been that both are very demanding, you know, so it takes a lot of discipline, you know, to really do what I'm doing. And, and I know some artists like do that, uh, like I saw, so I'm not unique in any way. You know, so many people do that. But that is, for me, is the time to balance those two things is quite difficult. Sometimes, you know, you do have to make certain sacrifices. Um, someone with um, a family, a young family, sometimes it's difficult. You have to spend less time with the family and be alone. Um, and one of the things that, that when you're creating, um, you are alone in your studio, 
thinking about a thousand and one things, how to come up with something that is in your imagination. There are some art 